This morning I have a special treat for you. Normally I don't give up my pulpit very often, uh, but I have a great honor. Uh, I will give it up any day for Jeff Johnson. Uh, he's a good man and uh, you're going to be blessed. And so there are missionaries. They've served uh, in Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and Pakistan. Uh, they love the Muslim people. And so let's give them a warm welcome. Amen. Is he not? Amen. Amen. We do serve an awesome Lord. And I I just uh, came up to say it's a real privilege to be here with you guys again. We are always so blessed and so warmly welcomed uh, by all of you. And it's just a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to serve the Lord wherever we are, overseas or here locally. And God is really good. We, uh, many of you have been praying. Thank you so much for your prayers. About a year and two months ago, actually, we were in Canada sharing at a missions conference, um, teaching and training new people who were getting ready to go overseas, new missionaries. And our daughter got in a major car accident. Man, I'm telling you, a phone call you don't want to get when you're overseas. <laughs> and she was all 17 years old, making a left-hand turn. And if you would have seen the car, you would have thought, it's amazing that our daughter survived it. She crushed this bone here, lost all four of those teeth, and began a reconstructive surgery. But by the grace of God, she is almost completely healed. So thank you for your prayers for that, for those of you who knew and were praying. We are very blessed to have three very healthy and very happy young kids. Uh, two of them back now in the state. All three are back in the States, but two at university. Um, the first, our oldest, Daniel, is becoming an, either a nurse practitioner or an RN in the master's program there. He's doing very well, second year. And our daughter, Hillary, the one that uh, had the accident this year, is uh, in her first year at NAU. And she doesn't know what she wants to do yet, except for possibly marry a hockey player, because then they can share their teeth stories. <laughs> And then our youngest, Dan, Kyle, is a sophomore, and he just got accepted. We're really excited to, in an honors program to go to a speech and debate tournament in Harvard in uh, three weeks. So that would be really cool. Our kids are doing great, and they're adjusting really well. And we had a real tough decision when we got kicked out of our last country. We have the distinction as missionaries of being kicked out of three countries. And, you know, yeah, I guess share it while you can and be bold while you can. Amen. <laughs> and let the Lord lead where he does. And so and the last time when we came through, the kids just really said, since we have moved so many times, would it be okay if we stayed in one location to finish our high school years? And we really felt like we wanted to honor that. Kyle has two more years. Jeff, Jeff and I, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff and I, that's what they call him over there, uh, are real anxious to get back. But you know the Lord has plans, and he knows that our children are part of that as well. So while Kyle has two more years, the compromise that we came up with is to go back overseas for as snowbirds three months of the year. So our international headquarters, the the leader of our international headquarters, has moved into India, one of the largest unengaged Muslim people group areas, and has asked us if we would come and help train um, new teams that are coming out through there. So hopefully in the 25 years we've been doing this that they'll make less mistakes than we did. May it be so, Lord. Amen. And, uh, and so we, will plan, we plan this summer to be there for three months, and then uh, we'll come back here to the States, continue our jobs in the Phoenix Mesa area, training and teaching new people, and then hopefully get a bunch more and 
get them back out there the following summer. So for at least the next three years, that's our plan. So bless you so much for your prayers and that. We are, we are so grateful for Calvary Chapel and for our brothers and sisters uh, because we can't do it alone, can we? We're, we're all a part of this great commission. Thank you. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, as Roxanne said, our daughter had uh, kind of messed up this bone in that car accident, and so they they shot uh, cow bone up in there to build up that bone, and that's worked really well. Except uh, our daughter has a hankering for grass at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Every day. Other than that, she's doing fine. Listen, uh, Roxanne said it. Let me just also say very quickly, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we were talking with Pastor Neil this morning and uh, trying to think, wow, when did we actually, do we remember when we actually got together? And it was, <laughs> it's been so long ago we could hardly remember. Uh, but it would have been maybe back in our days in Afghanistan at least 10 years, if not more. Maybe 18 years. Uh, you know, people come and go from your lives, churches as well. But this church and Pastor Neil has uh, has been uh, supportive of us for so many years. And that has been a huge encouragement to us. So just be, uh, we just want to thank you for that. It, I mean, thank you. It doesn't seem like it's enough. But thank you so much for standing with us. Later this afternoon at lunch, we'll share a little bit more about what's on our hearts for this next season of our life. But now let's uh, go ahead and look at the Word. The, the Word as we look at it today, obviously we're going to look at it for ourselves, see what the Lord has to teach us about ourselves. But also I want to draw some parallels with the Muslim world and how the uh, Word is very powerful for Muslims. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll get into the Word. Father, we thank You uh, for Your Word. This book that we have in front of us, when we think of the millions and millions of books out there, there is only one penned by the Creator God Himself. And so it's with great humility now we look, Father, at Your words to us. Would you encourage us and teach us and instruct us today? May the glory be yours as you build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we uh, get eventually to our main passage this morning in Acts 10, I want to lay a a little bit of a foundation. So we're going to go through a couple of verses pretty quickly here. But Isaiah 45, we'll start in Isaiah 45, verses 21 through 22. As you're getting there, we uh, got married in September of 87, and a couple of months after we got married, we said we wanted to we wanted to be missionaries to Muslims. We didn't really know at the time where Muslims were. We pulled out a map, and we said, oh, there's a probably pretty good chance we'll find some Muslims in Pakistan. So we went to Pakistan, <laughs> and it was great. They were like everywhere, you know. Uh, it was one of the better, better decisions we ever made in our lives. And we worked our way up to northern Pakistan, and we worked with uh, Muslims there, and then eventually led a church planting team into northern Afghanistan. And uh, then the Taliban rolled through at the end of the 90s, and we had to move to Pakistan, back to Pakistan, got kicked out of Pakistan, left Afghanistan, moved to Phoenix, and worked with Muslims in the Phoenix area for about five years, from 99 to 03. And then 03 moved to Uzbekistan, a country just north of Afghanistan in a city called Tashkent, and ministered there in a church planning team for a couple of years. And then in May of 06, was arrested and deported, ended up back in Phoenix, and... uh, Man, we'd love to get kicked out of Arizona. We're working on that. (laughs) 
uh, hasn't happened yet, but we're working on that. And then now our passion is India and the Muslims in India. We'll talk more about that. Now, as we look at Isaiah 45, declare what is to be presented. I'm reading from the NIV. There might be a few words that are a little different here. Declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me, a righteous God and a God who saves. And now a little bit to the right over in Isaiah 49, 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, just hold there. I'm going to just myself just I want you just to listen to this in Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Do you understand that God has a salvation for us? And it's not a plan or an idea or a concept that we have to figure out. It's a person who can be seen. See? Now we transition from the Old Testament out of the New Testament. Luke 2.30. And you remember the old guy Simeon. You remember him. And his prayer to God was, don't let me die. See? Until I see your salvation. In Luke 2, verse 30, we see Simeon's words. He was praying this, remember, in the temple. And one day he looked up and he saw this young couple carrying this infant up the steps of the temple. And a thought went through his head. God speaking to him. And God said, that is the one. And here's his words in Luke 2, 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And now just move your eyes a little bit over to the right to Luke 3. And now we have the testimony of Isaiah about John the Baptist and the classic passage in Luke 3 verse 4. A voice of one calling in the desert... Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. And here it is. And all mankind will see God's salvation. Now let's just put a period at the end of this idea and go to 2 Corinthians 3. Because now we're going to see how this all comes together for the lost and for us as well. Second Corinthians 3.15. Again, you know these passages. We're just reminding ourselves again of God's salvation as seen in the face of Jesus. Now, in Second Corinthians 
Remember these words. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Lostness means you cannot see. You're blind. But as people turn to the Lord... And there's all kinds of big words and theological things about this. But Scripture simply says, as you turn towards the Lord, the veil is lifted. You and I are not eloquent enough of speech to create sight in the blind. You understand that. He gets all the glory. All we do as missionaries, all we do as followers of Jesus, is we simply move into the neighborhood, learn their language, learn their culture, and introduce them to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the one who opens eyes. He's the one who raises the dead, and He gets all the glory. See? The problem with my Muslim friends and your pagan American neighbors is they're blind. See, they can go in their backyards and they can look at the vast heavens and the wall of the stars and they can go, oh, well, you know, oh, millions of years ago, it just happened. Say, blind. <laughs> or Muslims can look at Jesus and go, oh, he's just a prophet. He's just a good guy. Blind. See, and you and I can't do anything about that blindness except introduce them to Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 3 is true because as people turn towards Jesus, the veil is lifted. We had an Uzbek uh, gal one time who uh, Roxanne was talking to her about Jesus. Now, in Islam, Jesus' name is Isa. His full name, Hezrate Isa al-Masih, the Holy Jesus, the Messiah. By the way, talking about blind people. Do you realize that in the Quran, which is the holy book for the Muslims, in the Quran, there are only two entities that are holy. Do you understand, my Muslim friend, <laughs> that every prophet from Adam to Noah to Moses to David, all the way up, every one of them sinned. In fact, there is a story in the Hadith, which are the sayings of Muhammad, where Muhammad is reported to have asked God for forgiveness 100 times in one day. That is amazing. Most of the time I play with my sin. A hundred times a day, Moses, <laughs> Muhammad asked God for forgiveness. But Rasul... <laughs> My Muslim friend, there is only one prophet who never once asked for forgiveness. Behold, Esau Masih. See? They're blind. It's not their fault. They're just blind. So we introduce them to Jesus. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4... Four. This is the classic verse. It's basically the Bible's definition of lostness. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, basically... 
all religions. doesn't matter whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, paganism, materialism. It doesn't matter. All faiths are the same. In all faiths, there is a God. In Islam, God is called Allah. And he does not move. He's static. See? You must come to him. In Islam, you must pray in Arabic. Otherwise, God does not hear you. You must come to him. And so, basically, all of life is man attempting to get closer to God. See? Now, our faith is the only faith in the entire universe that's different. In our faith, well, in our faith, there's somebody who's stuck and can't move. Who is he? Open book test. Me. I I can't move. And then Philippians 2 says, my God left his place and came down. Philippians 2, 5 says, he became man-faced. He put on the face of a man. He moved into my neighborhood. He came to me. He learned my language. He came to me and now I can touch him and smell him and hear him. And now I know who God is. And so Jesus says in John 17 and John 21 to the disciples, and thus to us because we're behind the disciples, Jesus says, I'm sending you out the same way I was sent. Question, how was Jesus sent? Answer, Philippians 2. He left this place, he moved into the neighborhood, he learned the language and the culture, and he introduced people to Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God, according to Hebrews. Jesus said in John 14, excuse me, if you see me... You see God. Wait a second, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, are you saying that God looks like that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second now. Jeff, are you saying that God cares for the world like that? Jeff, are you saying that God loves me like that? Jesus reveals God to us. He is his salvation. The problem is people don't see him. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And now down to verse 6. Now we see God's rule here. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If you see Jesus, really see him for who he is, then that is an absolute miracle. In this verse, do you understand that as God is trying to communicate to us, he uses uh, a little bit of a story to help us understand what this means. This um, bringing or turning on the light, see, this opening of our eyes. God says it's like at the time of creation when light came out of darkness. Now let me ask you. And we have to remind ourselves of this. How much power did it take for God to create light out of darkness? It takes that much power to open a dead man's eyes. See? Or 
turn the light on. Any of you have ever read Pascal, the famous uh, mathematician and theologian? He said, actually, it takes more power to turn the light on in a person than it did to create light out of darkness at the time of creation because man rebels. The darkness didn't. <laughs> All the glory goes to him. This thing we call church planting in the Muslim world is an impossible task. Do you understand? Every time a Muslim becomes a follower of Christ, he's dead. You can't convince anybody to put their life on the line. Only God can do that as his spirit indwells and eyes are open and hearts are open to really see him. See, it's about people seeing Jesus. Now, wow, that's all the intro. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to have to bring the pizza in. Okay, let's go to Acts 10. <clears throat> we'll carry on. I, I got you covered. I'm watching the clock here. Let's go to Acts 10 now. Acts 10, verse 34. Now, just to set the stage on Acts 10, you just stay in Acts 10, 34. And I'm going to just read a couple verses from Acts 10, 1. You know this story. This is the story of Cornelius. And... Um, uh, God calling Peter and sending Peter then to Cornelius' house. Now, in the first couple verses of chapter 10 of Acts 10, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. We see now from these verses that this is a pagan Roman who's now following the Jewish practices. He prays to God. He prays to God regularly, and he's praying at 3 o'clock, the ninth hour. So we know for certain that he's a practicing, practicing the Jewish faith, although he himself is a pagan Roman. And then he has a vision. It's uh, one of the great joys of being on the mission field is acts is alive today and many times and you guys know this in your own lives if you had an opportunity to come up here you could tell you could tell testimonies and stories in the way god is working but many times we think sometimes that acts is this ancient dusty document and yet the things that we see in acts are happening today one of the most amazing things that we have heard about and experienced ourselves is Muslims having dreams and visions of Jesus. See? And across the Muslim world, we have talked to Muslims in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, and now in India. And I can assure you they're not tweeting each other to co coordinate their stories. And their stories are all the same. They call him the man in white. And you know that, you know, when you have a dream, sometimes you just know, you just know. And uh, so Jesus very rarely, there are occasions, but very rarely does he speak. He usually appears in these dreams. His arms are open. He's brilliantly white. And the Muslims that have this vision have an incredible peace that falls on them. But many times he doesn't speak. One of the uh, circumstances, there's lots of stories. Let me just give you a couple of them. A couple uh, years ago, 
we had a team go to Kabul to minister to another team. They didn't speak the language. After they ministered to the team, they were spending a little time in Kabul, uh, just outside of Kabul, getting a little R&R, if that's possible, in Kabul. <laughs> and uh, they looked up, and there was uh, hills back over there, a couple of shepherd boys up there. And so they went up to them, and they began talking to them through an interpreter. And one of the guys on the team asked the young Afghan Muslim shepherd boy, uh, have you had any visions or dreams? And then he said, the, the Afghan boy said, he started walking back like this, like, well, we've seen the man in white. And they all know that the man in white is the prophet Jesus. And the little boy said, almost everybody in our village has seen the man in white. But we don't know why. And so we have been working and trying and to get teams into that area. See, it's a great encouragement to know that God is out there. Acts is as alive today as it was. It's just, it's like, it's just modern, even though it may have a little dust on it. Just recently when we were in India, we met Ahmed. Now he was a Hindu and he had arthritis throughout his leg. And he went to some Indian Christians and they prayed for him and he was healed. This is not a health and wealth gospel. It's just the faithfulness of God gospel. And uh, he began to study the Bible. He joined a small little fellowship. And then one night he saw the man in white. Jesus appeared to him. And in this dream, he appeared to Ahmed and he said one word. Go. And he pointed to the Muslim village that was over there. Now, the Hindus and the Christians live in these villages and the Muslims live in these villages. And you don't really mix. So Ahmed, beautiful faith, just simple faith. God says, go. What do you do? Go. So he starts to walk. And then all of a sudden, a uh, thought appear, uh, uh, goes through his head. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to say? But he keeps walking. And when he gets to the village, he goes, oh, no, now what? And then all of a sudden, a thought went through his head. And he remembered a song that the Christians taught him. So he began to sing this song. Now, Ahmed wasn't a great singer. So all the Muslims began to peer out of their houses going, what is that racket? What is going on? And he began to draw a crowd. Then he had another thought. Oh, my goodness, the song is about to end. Now what am I going to say? And then another thought went through his head. Tell your story. So he simply told them how God had healed his leg through Jesus. And the Muslims listened to it, and then a few got riled up, and then a few picked up stones and threw rocks at him, and they kicked him out. And then six months, eight months later, there was a Muslim family in that village, and their son became gravely ill. And the mother turned to the father and said, Do you remember that crazy guy who came here and sang? Well, he really couldn't sing, but that rock he did. He talked about the prophet Jesus, who was the healer. Let's go see if we can find him. So they walked over to his village. They found Ahmed. I'm giving you the short version of the story. And Ahmed met with them. They prayed to God through the one. Who can heal Jesus? And the boy was healed. And now there's a small little fellowship of Muslim believers. It started because one very simple man simply obeyed. See? Oh my goodness. 
you know this. We know so much about God, you could fill volumes of our knowledge. Can I just say that maybe we don't need more knowledge. Let's just obey what we already know. Let's try there. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. Oh my God, give us courage. Thank you for the knowledge you've given us, but give us courage to obey. Simple obedience is profound. We see Cornelius has a vision. These visions are happening across the Muslim world. In fact, I was actually teaching a class in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, one time, here, uh, about six months ago. And when I finished, we talked a little bit about the man in white, and, and one of the students came forward. He's working with an American Indian tribe in Iowa. He said, I was just with five guys last night, Indians, and they've also seen the man in white. Jesus is appearing to Muslims and Indians in dreams. We see it here in Acts. Verse 4. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. God sees your gifts and your actions done to others. You just stay where you're at. I'm going to go to verse 22. The men replied after they had come back to Cornelius. We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. So do you understand what we got here? We have Cornelius, which is devout. He's God-fearing. He prayed regularly. He's righteous. He gives to the poor. And yet, that was not enough to save him. So many of your pagan American neighbors think they're pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I don't need God. See, as good as this Roman was, he was not, he still lacked. What did he lack? He didn't see Jesus. He was blind. And so God calls Peter. You know the story. Peter goes and introduces him to Jesus. Now to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Ephesians 2 says, at one point in your life, you are far from God. See, Muslims, Allah is very, very distant, and they spend their entire life trying to earn their way. Well, here you go. Here, here is a major passage in the Quran. It's just a couple of verses. This sets the stage for how Muslims, and I would suggest possibly many of your neighbors, view salvation. This is from the Quran, chapter 20. Verse 74. I want you to listen to the theology that's in this. Verily, he who comes to his Lord as a sinner at judgment for him is hell. Therein shall he neither die nor live. Do you understand that Muslims believe that they cannot stand before a holy God? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I wish everybody in Costa Mesa understood that. Do you understand the Quran is not the inspired word of God? I'm not saying that. There is truth in the Quran, just like occasionally there's truth in the L.A. Times or New York Times or Time Magazine. 
Can I get truth is truth. It's not dependent on what you believe or your opinion. Truth is truth. And occasionally it's there. That is good theology. You cannot stand before a holy God. Man, I wish he would have just stopped right there. But he kept writing. But such as come to him as believers who have worked righteous deeds. For them are ranks exalted, gardens of eternity beneath which flow rivers. They will dwell therein for a such is the reward. And here's one of the major foundations of Islam. For a such is the reward of those who purify themselves. Do you understand that 1.5 billion people on this earth are trying to purify themselves? They are far from God, as Ephesians 2 says. We both agree that you cannot stand before a holy God, that before we know Jesus, we are far from Him. However, Isaiah 30 says... In quietness and rest is your salvation. Most of the world is working hard to bridge this gap, to create peace between them and God. And the gospel, as we see it in Acts 10, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel and to all the world, telling the good news of peace. Through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then the writer goes on to explain basically the gospel. We see Jesus. He comes. He's crucified. And then in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Muslims believe that if they pray five times a day, their sins will be forgiven. If they go on Hajj, their sins for the previous year will be forgiven. If they beat themselves, their sins will be forgiven for the previous year. And if they give up food for an entire month during daylight hours called the Ramadan, God will forgive their sins. Paradise awaits those who purify themselves. Our forgiveness of sins... Our right standing before a holy God is completely based on what Jesus did. Behold the Lamb of God. You know, one day I was at the mosque and I listened to the sermons at the mosque. They meet on Fridays. We meet on Sundays. They meet on Fridays. And the imam gives a sermon. It's called the chutbah. And um, I'm always sitting there in the mind. I have my little three-by-five cards. I'm always taking notes because I want to engage the imam after the sermon. And everybody else is looking at me, and they're all <laughs> falling asleep during the sermon, you know. And, and here's this guy writing all these notes, and they think that's kind of strange. But then one day I'm at the mosque, and the imam is giving this sermon. And here is the imam's sermon to the Muslims, 600 men and countless women at the top, which I didn't see, at the mosque on this particular day. Here's what he said. You guys... Every day you wake up and you're eating your breakfast 
and you're watching television. Stop it. Stop it. Now, what you need to do is you need to go to the bookstore and buy yourself a Quran and read the... How many have heard of quiet time before? They're asking for it in the mosque. And then he says this, How many of you guys are driving long distances to work and you're listening to country western music? Stop it. Stop it. Now, what you need to do is you need to go down to the bookstore and you get the Quran on CD. You do. You put it in the thing there and you listen. And then he spent the next half an hour going through all of the commands of God that Muslims are to follow. When he was finished with his sermon, I had three by five cards laying all around me. I gathered up all these three by five cards and I went up to Imam Said and I said, Wow, Imam Said, fantastic khutbah, fantastic sermon. Look at all the notes I took. And he goes, Well, Mr. Jeff, you took a lot of notes. And I said, man, you are absolutely right. It is hard to obey all the commands of God. You know, sometimes I get up in the morning and I think, I'm going to obey this command. And by the time I get to the shower, I've broken it. And then I think, oh, I'm going to obey this command. And by the time I get to the breakfast table, I broke that one too. See? And at that moment, Imam Saeed grabbed me by the shoulder and he pulled me over to the side. He put me way over here. And then he looked to the left, he looked to the right. And he said, Mr. Jeff, looked again. Obeying the commands of God, it's almost impossible. Now, I'm a NASCAR fan. I like to keep things simple. I'm going to oversimplify this. I know. The difference between our faith and Islam, one word, almost. If it's almost possible to obey all the commands of God and thus have right standing before a holy God, then you need to turn off that television, stop listening to country western music, and just try harder. If it's not almost impossible, but it's impossible, you don't need a guidebook. You don't need to try harder. You need a savior. Oh my goodness. Behold the Lamb of God. It takes away your sin. What about this? Because so what? How about this when we think of application? Because a lot of times application is do this, do this, do this, and then we become just like the Muslims. What if you take a day, today or tomorrow, and stop three or four times during the day? Stop. Put the tools of your trade down. Just stop and thank God that he opened your eyes. You see Jesus. That's not because you're smart or you figured it out or you're better than the guy down the street. I don't know why. It's completely his grace. Now. You don't have to do this every day. A neighbor comes up to a Muslim and needs some help. The Muslim goes, can't, I'm sacrificing. I got to get closer to God. I'll get to your neighbor later. We who have had our sins forgiven are now free. Our hands are free to serve, free to love, free to care. We don't have to earn it. 
He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're completely in his hand. And now in complete safety, complete safety, we're free to go. We're free to go into the neighborhoods, into the cities and into the world. Dangerous places doesn't matter. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said in John 14, I've gone ahead and prepared a place for you. It'll blow your socks off now for a brief moment of time. Remember, as David said, our lives are like a wisp of vapor. Gone. Now for a brief moment of time, would you go to Kabul? Would you go to L.A.? Would you go to your neighbor? With your hands free, would you serve them and love them? The rest of the world is tired. Do you understand that Muslims are tired? What happens when you're tired? You get cranky. You see, Muslims are cranky. You see it on the news, turn on CNN, Fox, it's all there. They're tired. May God pour out His Spirit and give them rest. Well, there's lots more to talk about. We'll carry on in the next service. (laughs) Let me just pray for you, and uh, we'll let you go. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Calvary Chapel. Each one who sees you is an absolute miracle. Lord, would you give this community and my brothers and sisters here great courage. Not courage based on their own knowledge or understanding or expertise, but courage based on who you are. That you are capable of doing what you say you will do. And that you'll never leave them or forsake them. You are the one who saves. You are the one who's building your church. Now simply with our hands free, our feet free, and in complete confidence, we go wherever you want us to go, Father. Bring yourself great glory through this church. In Jesus' name, amen.